Luke 22, 39-65. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out out against, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and, and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you, through your spirit, you teach us and you grow us um, as we submit ourselves to the truth that we find in your scripture. So we pray that you would do that work um, in us this morning as we look into your word together. I pray that you would help us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I remember um, as a child, um, I was never naturally obedient. I was never naturally obedient. I, if, um, 
If I was told to do something by anyone in authority, I was quickly very skeptical. I was like, ah, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. If anybody's telling me what to do, I'm just going to, that, that doesn't seem like the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to do something else. Um, I, I, obedience did not come naturally to me. And it never helped when someone pointed out the obedience of someone else. When they said, you know, that guy over there, he's, he's obedient. He got student of the month award. He got this. He got that. He got the good citizenship. I was like, well, he's a chump. He's a sucker. He's, he's not having any fun at all. I don't want to be that person. He can have his certificate. I will have the good life. So, you know, first through twelfth grade and a couple of years of college were difficult for me. I learned a lot of things the hard way. We sing songs like, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. We sing songs like, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We sing songs like, that, that, that have verses like, when, and when I think that God His Son not sparing sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. We, we sing songs that cast our mind, cast the, the, our mind's eye upon Jesus. They, they cast our eye upon Jesus as He is shown to us in His Word. And what we see today over and over and over again is the obedience of Jesus. How perfectly obedient our Savior is. How does that help us? What good does that do? As great for Him, what good does it do for me? If I'm depressed, if I'm suffering, if I'm exhausted, if I've failed again, how does it help me that Jesus obeyed? It's nice for Him. What does it do for me? There's, in this passage, at least five things that the obedience of Jesus does for us. There are, there are five reasons we need to look at the obedience of Jesus Christ. We need the obedience of Jesus. We need to see our, our obedient Savior. So that's what we're going to do this morning as we look at this passage. Five things that the obedience of Jesus does for us. Let's go through them one by one. The first one is the one, like if you know, if you know this morning, you've only got about 10 minutes of listening in you, you can, you're like, Steve, I'm going to hang with you for 10 minutes, that's it. I can give you 10 minutes and the rest, and then I'm just, I'm going to have to check out. Listen for this, this is your 10 minutes right here. Stay with me for this 10 minutes, and then go back to checking Instagram or whatever. Stay with me for 10 minutes. First thing Jesus' obedience does for us is it saves us. From God's wrath. Jesus' obedience saves us from God's wrath. The very beginning verses of our passage. Verse 39, he goes out to the Mount of Olives. He's, he's, he's going out and he tells his disciples to pray so that they may not enter into temptation. Verse 40, and then he himself 
verse 41 and 42, begins to pray. Jesus knows that the time is getting very close. He knows he's about to be betrayed and arrested. He is about to be killed. And the thought of it is almost overwhelming to him. It's not the, it's not the thought of the physical pain. My, um, because I am, because I make very sketchy parenting decisions, my, um, my older kids and I are watching through, um, Saving Private Ryan right now. And the movie is about 17 hours long, so we're watching it like in portions, right? Um, and the first part of that movie is just brutal. It, the, the physical suffering, um, is, um, the actual D-Day, I'm sure, was worse, but this movie gives us enough for we start to understand the physical suffering in that war. Physical suffering in Normandy. Jesus isn't here shaking at the thought. He's not recoiling at the thought. He's not in agony at the thought of physical suffering, physical pain. That's not what he's praying that his Father will remove from him in verse 42. He's praying that his Father, if his Father is willing, would remove the cup from him. And Jesus is referring to the cup of God's wrath. It's a, it's a, it's a way of, when the Bible talks about the cup, it, 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 it's a way of describing God's anger, His hatred for sin. Jesus knows that on the cross, all of God's hatred and anger for sin is going to come washing over Him. It's going to be poured out on Him. He, Jesus on the cross is going to feel nothing but His Father's hatred, pure holy hatred for sin. Jesus is, on the cross, going to endure the worst part about hell. He is going to endure what makes hell, hell. And He's getting a sense of that, right? In, in, the, in the garden. He's getting a sense of what that's going to be like. So he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's a lot of like uh, theological debate about what, what, what Jesus was doing here in the garden. Why, you know, why he sort of showed this, it seems like a moment of weakness. Why, what is going on? in Jesus at this moment. But I think if we step back and we think about it for just a, a second, we realize this makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that the, that, the, that the human who hated sin the most, the most innocent, holy human ever, of course he's going to recoil at the thought of God's holy wrath against sin. You can't hate sin and not, not be shaken by the thought of the, the wrath against it coming down upon you. And of course also, Jesus is not only, he's not only completely man, he's not, he's not perfectly man, but he's also perfectly God. He's completely God. And so he is, he, so, so now we have this, this joyful relationship that the Father and the Son have had for all eternity. Now there's going to be this time where, where the Son doesn't know the love of his father. He, that, that's not what he feels from the father. He's not going to feel that on the cross. Instead, on the cross, all he's going to feel is God's hatred for sin. 
So Jesus is rightly shuddering. He is in holy agony over this. And of course, you and I, anyone, anyone, so this is not you, then it doesn't apply, but if, if you have believed the Gospel, if, you, if Jesus is your Savior, if He's your King, if God has saved you, if you've been born again, then you're never going to know the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. All those who belong to Christ will never know what it was like for Him to suffer the way He suffered because He took our suffering. He suffered in our place. He's, he, he has saved us through His obedience. He did what the Father told Him to do. He did His Father's will. He obeyed all the way to the cross. We are saved by His obedience. But I hope you understand, as we look at this passage, I hope you understand that God hates your sin. God hates my sin. There is hell to pay for our disobedience. There is is hell to pay. If you don't see how disgusting our sin is to our holy, pure God, then then look again at the way the bravest man who ever lived trembled at the thought of the wrath of God. There's hell to pay for our disobedience, and Jesus paid it. We are saved by His obedience. If you've never believed that, believe it now. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Him as your Savior. His obedience saves us from the wrath of God. Number two, His obedience stirs us to pray. His obedience saves us from the wrath of God and His obedience stirs us to pray. And when He rose from prayer, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And He said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. They were sleeping. It seems from the way we read this passage, it seems like what Luke is saying to us is that they are filled now with great sorrow, with great sadness, with great disappointment. It it seems now that the reality of what is about to happen is, is also coming to them. And Jesus knows that because of all that's going to unfold over the next several hours, Jesus knows that they are going to be very susceptible to temptation. They're going to be very tempted to disobey. This is what happens when we go through great disillusionment, great disappointment, great sadness. We are tempted to disobey, to fall off the wagon, to go do our own thing. What does it matter anyhow? What is Jesus' answer for this? It's to pray. This is what He Himself did. This is what our obedient Savior did when He was tempted. When He was was almost overwhelmed at the price of His own obedience. 
What did he do? He prayed. And he prayed hard. This is the way forward. Do you feel like a particular sin owns you? Do you feel like uh, uh, there's a certain temptation, there's a certain sin that you're just never going to defeat? I have a very serious question for you, and I, I say a lot of flippant things, so, I, so I, I'm in danger of being this, this sounding flippant, and I'm, I don't mean it flippant at all. I don't mean it offhanded at all. I mean it in all seriousness. Have you tried praying? If you keep falling into temptation, have you tried praying? There are all kinds of ways to fight against pornography. There are all kinds of ways to fight against gossip, against jealousy, against greed. There's all kinds of helpful methods. If you, you know, if you have a, a sin that you just keep battling against, there's all kinds of tricks to do. And a lot of them are just very good and very helpful. But there's one thing that you must do. This is the one thing that I must do. If we're going to fight against temptation, we must pray. We must pray hard. We must pray a lot. And Jesus isn't saying this to us from some lofty place where life has never been hard. He's not saying this to us from Ivory Palace where He just gets served. He never has to suffer. He never has to sacrifice. Jesus knows what obedience is. He knows it far more than we'll ever have to. He knows how hard it is. He is saying this to us from the shadow of the cross. He's saying, pray. Pray so that you do not enter into temptation, so that you do not fall into sin. Pray. And pray hard. We look at our obedient Savior and we are stirred to pray. Number three, His obedience redirects our passion. His obedience redirects our passion. Verse 47, While He was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, the other Gospel writers let us know that this was Peter, which doesn't surprise us, one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So I don't know if he was aiming for the right ear. He's like, oh, this will show him. Yeah, now you can only hear half as good. But that's probably not. He's probably trying to kill him. And just, he's a better fisherman than he is a swordsman. And doesn't quite finish the job. But Jesus said no more of this. He touched his ear and, and healed him. He touched his ear and healed him. People talk about how cowardly, Jesus, or how cowardly Peter was on the night Jesus was betrayed. They always say, oh, Peter, he just was such a wimp. He, you know, he couldn't even stand up to that little girl, blah, 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 blah. This is, does not seem cowardly to me. I don't think this is cowardly. I don't think, I don't think Peter was afraid. I think Peter had all kinds of courage, all kinds of passion. It just wasn't directed in the right way. 
Peter was all about obeying Jesus. He just didn't want to obey Jesus the way Jesus wanted to be obeyed. Peter was all about sacrificing for Jesus. When Peter said a few verses earlier, he said, I will follow you to death. Peter meant it. He's like, I, I'm, I don't care how many there are. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you all out one by one, one, one year after another. This is gonna be a, this is gonna be a while before we finish these people off. We're just doing one, one year at a time. <laughs> Jesus says no, no. And aren't we thankful? Um, you think saving Private Ryan is bad? This would have been just a long, bloody movie. Jesus says, no, we're done with this. And he heals the man. Jesus is correcting Peter. He's showing Peter sometimes obedience means going down without a fight. It means refusing to take matters into your own hands. It means that God's way is best even if I end up humiliated. Even if it doesn't make a ton of sense. Even if it seems way too slow. Like it's never going to work. God's way is still best. Looking at our obedient Savior, because if anyone could have taken matters into his own hands and said to Judas, this is really what you want to do? Say to the chief priest, this is, this is what you want to do. You, I was with you, he says in 52. I was, I was with you day after day in the temple, and you didn't lay hands on me. But now is your hour in the power of darkness? That works both ways. And then he could have taken them out. If Jesus wanted to, he could have disobeyed his father, took matters into his own hands. Jesus is showing Peter and his disciples and us The Gospel doesn't go forward by us taking matters into our own hands. It doesn't go forward through us looking uh, brilliant or or strong. It doesn't go through our, our innovative ideas. It goes forward through the simple, humble ways God has called us to. God has simply called us to the Word and to prayer. It's just teach the Bible, believe the Bible, love the Bible, obey the Bible. Pray, love and serve the people in your life. Trust Jesus to build His church. Just just do... I, I know it's boring. I know, I know it means you don't get to swing swords as much as you would like to. I know it means you don't get as much credit as you would like. I know it means that you don't, you know, you're not, you're not the innovative idea man you'd like everybody to think you are. Jesus doesn't want us to improvise. And he shows that here in his calm obedience. Judas, really? Are you gonna, you're gonna betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Really, chief priest? You're gonna come out against me as if I'm, as if I'm gonna, what do you, what, what, who do you think I am? You're going to come out against me with all of these clubs and these swords? Jesus is so calm. He's so calm. His calm obedience redirects our passion. It, it, it brings us back to, oh yeah, well, I'm just going to do the simple, straightforward thing that God has said to do in His Word. And I'm going to trust Him to do... I'm going to trust, the, I'm going to trust Him to bring the results. I'm going to trust Him to bring the fruit. I'm going to trust Him to do what He wants with, 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 with whatever it is. Whatever my obedience brings to the table. I'm going to let God be in charge of the fruit.
I'm just going to be obedient. I'm just going to do what he's called me to do in his word. This is Jesus redirects our passion. Number four, his obedience moves us to repentance. His obedience moves us to repentance. So this doesn't look good, does it, with Peter? Nope, doesn't look good. Does not look good. They take Jesus away to the high priest's house. Peter's following at a distance. And then there are these three times, right, where they say to him, you know, I, you're, you're with Jesus. You're one of them. You're one of them. And, and Peter is watching as Jesus is just being humiliated and he is refusing to fight back. And it is over. Jesus looks ridiculous. He looks like a fraud. He looks like a heretic. He looks like a blasphemer. It's over. Peter's looking at the, the, his master and he's saying, I don't want that humiliation. I don't want that. I'm willing to follow Jesus up to a point. And so, three times he denies his Savior. And then verse 61 And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter was willing to go down fighting, but he's not willing to look like a fool. He's not willing to be associated with someone who is being publicly disgraced. When following Jesus means nothing but disgrace, Peter wants nothing to do with him. He's willing to swing a sword, but he's not willing to pray. He's not willing to obey in the ways Jesus wants him to. He's not willing to suffer humiliation for the cause of Christ, so he denies him. He denies even knowing him. In verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembers the saying of the Lord. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter sees Jesus looking at him. And this moves Peter to repentance. We, we do know, thankfully, sort of the, if you're familiar with the rest of the story, you do know that this, that this going out and weeping bitterly, this is godly sorrow. This is godly sorrow. And Peter is he's going to repent. And he's going to be brought back in. And Jesus is going to use Peter in a mighty way. So this is a... This is a godly sorrow when he goes out and weeps bitterly. Peter sees Jesus. He sees his obedient Savior and he sees that his obedient Savior sees him and Peter feels shame. This is exactly what Peter should feel. He should feel shame as Jesus is obediently going to the cross so that he can suffer for Peter's sin and all the while Peter is denying him Peter sees his obedient Savior and he is a move to repentance. I think for you and I, if we, we think about it, is there anything more powerful in our life? Anything more powerful in the life of the person who loves Jesus, who belongs to Jesus, whose, whose heart has been changed by the Spirit to make much of Christ, to, to be thankful, to worship? The person who belongs to Jesus to know that He sees us. There are many times when He's the only human who does. Maybe no other human sees us, but Jesus sees us. 
this moves us to repentance. When we, when we remember that our Savior sees our sin, it fills us with shame and with regret. It, 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 it moves us towards godly sorrow. It sets us on the path towards real repentance. When we remember how obedient Jesus was on our behalf, when we remember how much Jesus suffered on our behalf, we are filled with remorse for our disobedience. Seeing the obedience of Jesus helps us. It it moves us to hating our sin and finding mercy in Christ alone. Look to your obedient Savior. His obedience moves us to repentance. And then, number five, His obedience fortifies us in suffering. His obedience fortifies us in suffering. Verse 63-65. through There are there are many, many, many ironies in the story of the betrayal and arrest and crucifixion and the, the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus. There, are, there is irony after irony. And this is, this is one of the most fascinating ones. Verses 63 through 65. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Jesus is so calm. He is so calmly obedient. He knows full well that these, that these men mocking him and beating him, this is the path that his Father has given him in, in suffering for our sins. He knows that in order to be obedient to his Father, he's going to stand there and he's going to take this. He has, he has prayed, not my will, but yours be done, Father, and the Father has given him strength The Father has given him strength to obey. This reminds us a little bit of how calm he was with Judas. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He's just asking him this simple, straightforward question. Jesus knows what's happening here. He says to the to the to the rest of them, he says, Are you coming out as against a robber with swords and clubs? I was I was with you in the day during the temple. You did not, you not lay hands on me in the day when everybody was watching, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so Jesus is saying, you, you, you could only do this at night. But he's also, he's not just saying this is about like the, the nighttime and the darkness. He, he's saying this is the power of darkness. This is, this is evil. You are, you are being satanically evil. Knowing all of that though, he is, so calm. He is so aware and He is so calm. He is determined to obey His Father. And then the irony in these verses is just so, is just so rich. They are, because they are beating Him. And they are, and they are telling Him to prove that He's a prophet. 
They are mocking him and beating him and telling him and telling him to prove that he's a prophet when when he had just not too long before that prophesied that he would be mocked and beaten. So so by by mocking him and beating him and telling him to prove that he's a prophet, they're actually proving that he's a prophet. They're proving it. He's predicted that he would be mocked and beaten, and then they're saying, prove that you're a prophet. And he's just staring at them. He doesn't say a thing. This is madness. This is chaos. He just takes it. In the midst of all of this. So, so Jesus knows what it's like to be calm and to be obedient and to have the snot beat out of you by ridiculous people. He knows what life is like. And He shows us here how to live. He shows us what to believe. And so, and so when He goes to infuse us with strength, When He says to us, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When He says to us, you will have trouble in this world, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying this through lips that are going to be swollen with pain. He's 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 saying this through lips that are going to be smashed by those who hate Him. He's not saying this from some ivory tower somewhere. He's saying this from the shadow of the cross. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer in obedience. So when He tells us, to follow Him and to obey Him, come what may. Because He, He will be with us. He will infuse us with strength. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is saying this through lips that will be swollen with pain. Lips that will have been smashed by those who hate Him. If you're looking for calm and just just peace, as you suffer. If you're looking for the will and the desire and the strength to obey, come what may. Just do the simple, straightforward, obedient thing. Day after day, you look to your obedient Savior. He alone can give you strength. We are saved from God's wrath because He obeyed. And His obedience then then stirs us to pray. It redirects our passion. It gets us focused back on following Jesus the way He wants to be followed. Not doing our own thing. He redirects our passion. He moves us to repentance. And He fortifies us in suffering. Come what may, look to your obedient Savior. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for all that's in it. We thank You for... We thank you that Jesus is like a uh, he's like a prism. You 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 hold him up. You hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ and you look at it from any angle, all kinds of different angles. We run we never run out of angles, God. We look to Jesus and we see so much good there. So much grace there. So much strength in him. And then we turn the page in Your Word and we see Him in a different light and we receive even more strength and more grace. He is truly grace upon grace. Help us, God, 
to, to look to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.